Well, today we're taking a little Christmas break, as, as it were, from working our way through the gospel according to John. It's what we're going to be doing all year, uh, and we'll start that again next Sunday. But every year uh, at Christmas, I'm reminded of when I was a kid. And the anticipation of Christmas, of looking forward to Christmas. I know some of you work in education, your teachers, you've been anticipating Christmas too. I know that. Some of you who are real Christmas people have been anticipating Christmas for months now. Um, and that's great. You know, whatever you're into is fine. But we, there's an anticipation. There's a looking forward to Christmas. And when I was a kid, of course, I was looking forward to the quality time with my relatives, right? <laughs> no, I was looking forward to presents, to the toys, to the games, to the treats, you know? That's so fun around Christmas time. As an adult, I still look forward to presents. I still appreciate those things. I still get joy from those things. But I do actually, the older I get especially, appreciate more and more the time that I get to spend through Christmas and into New Year's with friends and family members. It's just such a, a wonderful time. But in in our story today, in the story of the first Christmas, uh, we're going to see men and women who also were anticipating. They also were looking forward to something, but it was something a little more serious. They looked forward to the birth of the Savior or the Messiah, the chosen one of God that God had promised to send to rescue and redeem his people. But when he arrived, when this Messiah was born, one thing became very clear. Everybody needs Christmas. Because everybody needs Jesus. That thought is kind of the thought that is, our church is founded on. That is the cornerstone of the good news that it's our mission to share. And so I can't wait for you to hear this story today. If you have a Bible, if you'd like to open it to Luke chapter 2, if you have a Bible app, uh, that is okay. We allow that here. We'll also put the scripture on the screens for you as well if you'd like. But we're going to read through the Christmas story and we're going to unpack it in four parts. Uh, Jordan told me this morning it sounds like a Wes Anderson movie. It might be. <laughs> the birth, the announcement, the blessing, and the response. So first the birth. Look at Luke chapter 2, starting in verse 1. In those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. This was the first census that took place while Quirinius was governor of Syria. I challenge you to say that name three times fast. Everyone went to their own town to register. So Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house and line of David. He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. You're supposed to go, ooh. Okay, right? Verse 6. While they were there, the time came for the baby to be born, and she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger because there was no guest room available for them. So let's pause here and consider the birth, part one. So this version of the Christmas story comes to us from a man named Luke. It's important to know and ask questions about where in the Bible, what am I reading, what is the context of this, where does this come in, history, who's writing, and so forth. That's, those are helpful questions to ask. 
But this story comes to us by way of a man named Luke. And Luke was a physician. He was a doctor uh, in the first century AD who most likely became a Christian through the ministry of the Apostle Paul. And now Luke didn't know Jesus personally, but he did a careful investigation into the life and the ministry of Jesus by interviewing eyewitnesses. And the book of Luke is the first part of his work, the results of his work. The book of Acts in the Bible is part two. But here we have the birth account of Jesus, starting with Mary and Joseph, traveling from Nazareth. We'll look at a map here together, if you can see that. In, from the northern region of Galilee, which is about 90 miles to the north, down to Bethlehem in Judea in the south. Now this would have taken about a week on foot with a very pregnant Mary. And uh, the Messiah, incidentally, was prophesied to come from Bethlehem. We see this in passages like Micah chapter 5 in the Old Testament. But it isn't until this account that we learn the reason why. Luke says it was required because of a Roman census that required everyone to go back to their ancestral home. So for Joseph, being from the house in line, the lineage of the ancient King David of Israel, that meant that he had to go back to Bethlehem, which was known as the town of David. That's where David was from. Now, we don't have information about how old Mary and Joseph were at the time, but people back then were usually engaged, betrothed, pledged to be married uh, in their teens or early 20s. So most likely, Mary and Joseph were pretty young at this time. So because of this census, Bethlehem, no doubt, was packed with people, including many uh, extended family members of Mary and Joseph. Now, some of you, uh, maybe today even, or this week, are hosting family for Christmas. And so you'll have a similar experience. People everywhere, kids sleeping on the floor, stuff all over. Uh, maybe a baby being born, who knows? Well, it, it can be fun. I love, I love hosting people for celebrations like this, but I'm sure that this wasn't Mary's ideal birth plan. So when Jesus was born, Mary cleaned him, clothed him, and placed him in a manger or a little crib normally used to feed animals. And if you think that this, of this setting, that this setting is possibly the setting of the birth of a king, uh, this would probably be the farthest thing of what you would, would imagine. But this was where Jesus was born, a king who's a different kind of king. A king, if you continue to follow the trajectory of his life and his leadership, would only ever use his power and influence and authority not to be served, but to serve and give and sacrifice so much for the benefit of others, even his very life. Jesus would grow up to be an entirely different kind of king, but this was his birth. What would happen next? Let's continue with part two in verse eight. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today, in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah. The Lord, this will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. 
Suddenly, a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven, and on earth peace to those on whom his favor rests. When the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let's go into Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. So they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. When they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told them about this child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. But Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. The shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things that they had heard and seen, which were just as they had been told. On the eighth day, when it was time to circumcise the child, he was named Jesus, the name the angel had given him before he was conceived. So this is part two. This is the announcement. And we jump from the busyness, the uncomfortability of Bethlehem, out to the quiet countryside of some shepherds nearby. And then bursting out of this quiet darkness comes this shocking announcement. Today, in the town of David in Bethlehem, a savior has been born. He is the Messiah, the Lord. So this announcement, remember, was not made to kings, or presidents, governors, the rich and the famous but to lowly shepherds. It wasn't a bad gig being a shepherd at this time. I don't think it's ever been glamorous, though. And this was the group that received the announcement. But it still came with some heavenly fireworks, let's say. Okay, Luke says, a great company of the heavenly host appeared. So we don't know, you know, how big is an angelic company. Hundreds, perhaps thousands of angels appeared to glorify God for the wonderful gift of his one and only son. Now, we modern Western people tend to try and ignore the spiritual realm, except interestingly in some movies and things. In our imagination, we're okay with it. But the Bible presents the whole spiritual realm, including spiritual creatures like angels and demons, as just a fact of reality. It's just how the world is. Angels are creatures like human beings, but are spiritual in nature. If God made the heavens and the earth, if he made all physical beings, it doesn't surprise me too much that there are other realms that he might have worked in his creative power. Well, as the shepherds hear this message about this Messiah, they go from fear to at least being curious. They're terrified. These men who are fairly hardened out in the fields they go from being terrified to being curious. Could it be true? Well, Luke reports that on the eighth day after he was born, according to the law of Moses, Mary and Joseph had the child circumcised and named Jesus. And we'll continue to see this. This is a theme. But Mary and Joseph were very devout in their Jewish faith. They were careful to obey God's law of circumcision, and then later we'll see in the sacrifices that they made in the temple in Jerusalem. Even as, again, they were most likely very young. They didn't wait until they were old to obey God. Now, this is just a little message for you kids and teenagers who are with us this morning. I want to say something to you today. 
In Mary and Joseph, you have a young man and a young woman who show us that you don't have to be older. You don't have to wait until you are fully mature physically in order to live in a way that honors God with your life. Whether you're six or you're 16, if you trust in Jesus and try to follow his way with all of the strength and the faith that the Spirit of God will provide, nothing would please your Father in heaven more than that. We'll see and we'll continue to see the faithfulness of Mary and Joseph as we continue into part three. So third, verse 22. When the time came for the purification rites required by the law of Moses, Joseph and Mary took him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every firstborn male is to be consecrated to the Lord and to offer a sacrifice in keeping with what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of doves or two young pigeons. Now there was a man in Jerusalem called Simeon who was righteous and devout. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was on him. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Messiah. Moved by the Spirit, he went into the temple courts. When the parents brought the child Jesus to do for him what the custom of the law required, Simeon took him in his arms and praised God, saying, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you may now dismiss your servant in peace, for my eyes have seen your salvation, which is prepared, which you have prepared in the sight of all nations. A light for, the, for revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people Israel. The child's father and mother marveled at what he said about him. Then Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, this child is destined to, call, to cause the falling and rising of many in Israel and to be a sign that will be spoken against so that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed and a sword will pierce your own soul too. Pause one last time. This is the blessing. Is this a blessing any of you would like to receive in your life? <laughs> well, Mary and Joseph bring Jesus to the temple in Jerusalem in order to offer the sacrifices and be obedient to the law of Moses. Luke emphasizes that repeatedly, right? According to the customs, according to the law. But also from this passage, we learn that Mary and Joseph were likely quite poor, now, some of you may resonate with this this Christmas after having bought Christmas presents, right? We see this in the offering in this text of the pair of doves or maybe the young pigeons. So this was a provision in the law. If you go back and read the law, this was a provision in the law for people who couldn't afford the normal sacrifice, which would have been a lamb. So, of course, it's not all that unusual for a young family to struggle financially. Holly and I were married when we were quite young, and we had kids, too, when we were quite young. And I don't think anybody really has that many resources, that much money to go around in those circumstances. Uh, we probably would have had to go with the doves option as well if we brought <laughs> Tyler to the temple. Um, anyways, not only... <laughs> Not only 
Do you not have to wait until you're fully grown? You're grown up to be faithful to God, but you can also honor him whatever you've got in your bank account. Whether you're rich or poor, the Lord cares way more about the heart behind our offerings, our sacrifices anyways. But it's here, it's here at the temple where this young family meets an old man named Simeon. Now, Simeon, we're told, was righteous and devout. He wasn't perfect. He wasn't a perfect man, but he's a good man. And it was this man, a man of integrity and faith, who took Jesus in his arms. And moms, don't you love it when someone that you don't know in public tries to take your six-week-old baby out of your arms? (laughs) Probably didn't wash his hands. (laughs) Anyways... Simeon wasn't being creepy here. That's clear from the text. This is a good man. And he was so full of excitement and joy and enthusiasm when he saw Jesus and he realized, this is the one I've been waiting for. This is the one the Lord had promised I would see before I would pass away. This is the Lord's Messiah, the chosen one. And it was that day that our brother Simeon was led into the temple by the Holy Spirit. Perhaps it was just a small voice in his heart saying, Simeon, go to my temple. And this is where he recognized Jesus as the one that he had been waiting for. And it's no wonder that Mary and Joseph were amazed at this. They marveled at this situation because it was a miracle that allowed Simeon to know the person and work of Jesus. This not only confirmed what the angels had told them privately and what the angels had told the shepherds and what the shepherds had shared with them, but this word of Simeon also pointed forward to the reality of the mission of Jesus that would bring the gospel as good news to all people, first to the Jews and then to the Gentiles. But then Simeon offers what seems to be kind of a rough blessing. Right? We close our services with a blessing from Numbers chapter 6. May the Lord bless you and keep you and make his face shine upon you. And you just feel the warm feelings, hopefully, in your heart rising up in that moment. Simeon's like, Mary, a sword's going to pierce your soul. (laughs) Okay, God bless you. That is an unusual blessing. Well, Simeon prophesies that Jesus is destined to cause both the rising and falling of many in Israel, that he would reveal the thoughts of many hearts, and that Mary would be hurt in some way as well. Now, this most likely refers to when Mary would witness the suffering and death of her son Jesus on the cross for the sins of the world. Well, just as Bethlehem wasn't a comfortable place for his birth, I'm sure this blessing was just as uncomfortable for these young parents to hear. But in a very real way, this blessing, this unusual blessing in the birth of Jesus is a blessing. It's just not a blessing for him. It's a blessing for us. And this speaks to the serious nature of Christmas. You see, when Jesus was born... He was the good king arriving behind enemy lines. He faced deadly opposition from the start. And as Jesus grew up, he had to face the temptations of of Satan himself, uh, the betrayal and abandonment of close friends, being misunderstood by his brothers and his family members, and finally, of course, his own suffering and death on the cross. 
If you were Mary or if you were anyone who has really cared for Jesus, a sword would pierce your soul as well. But through the pain, through that opposition, through the temptation, came the victory. It was the darkness of the night outside Bethlehem that was pierced with the light of the angels and the light of the hope held out in the gospel. And it would be through the darkness of the cross that the glorious light of the life and the hope and the joy and the peace would come with the empty tomb. The good king ultimately won and to this day is rescuing and redeeming, freeing many captives from this kingdom of darkness. This is the meaning of Christmas. That God has not abandoned us. That he is Emmanuel, God with us. That he is the Christ, our Savior, Jesus, the Son of God. And that he is Lord over all. But there's one more faithful character that I want you to meet in this Christmas story. And her name's Anna. Let's finish with part four, the response. Verse 36. There was also a prophet, Anna, the daughter of Penuel, of the tribe of Asher. She was very old. <laughs> it's a funny, funny, Bible's funny sometimes. You can laugh at that. She was super old. She had lived with her husband seven years after her marriage and then was a widow until she was 84. She never left the temple. Some of you are like, hey, I'm 84. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> reading the Bible, okay? Um, we love you. She never left the temple, but worshiped night and day, fasting and praying. Uh, coming up to them at that very moment, she gave thanks to God and spoke about the child to all who were looking forward to the redemption of Jerusalem. When Joseph and Mary had done everything required by the law, they returned to Galilee, to their own town of Nazareth, and the child grew and became strong. He was filled with wisdom, and the grace of God was on him. And this is God's word. Fourth and finally, here's our response. So here at the end of Luke's account of the birth of Jesus, we have one more faithful person, a prophet named Anna. Prophets can speak on behalf of God, speak the word of the Lord. And now Anna was either 84 years old uh, or had been a widow for 84 years. Either way, she had lived a long life. Luke, that would have been a better way to say it. <laughs> she was very old. Luke presents her as a faithful woman. She was always at the temple. She truly loved the Lord, her God, heart, soul, mind, and strength. She fasted. She prayed. Her faith had a direct impact on her life. So it's no surprise to me that God would reveal to her what was happening in the temple that day. And in her response, we see a wonderful example for all of us today. When Anna realized who Jesus was, that he was the one that she had been anticipating, that he was the one that she was looking forward to, that he was the child that God had promised to send, that she was waiting for, she gave thanks to God and told everybody about Jesus. Anna praised God and she shared good news. 
This is the Christmas story, right? Into a world of darkness was born Jesus, the light of the world. Into humble circumstances, maybe the humblest of circumstances, comes the king of all creation. Come to rescue and redeem his people. He, he was the one who deserved all the glory, honor, and praise. And yet he was born into a humble circumstances, raised in kind of a, a small town in the middle of nowhere by a sort of normal family. But he was ultimately born to live and to die and to rise again so that all people, as we've seen, Jew and Gentile, young and old, rich and poor, all people might be forgiven and freed of their sins. Reconciled with God, with a new relationship, and enabled to live forever in his kingdom. But in this story, we have a young couple, as I've mentioned, who are faithful to God. And we have an old man and woman who were faithful to God. Now, I've already encouraged you to look to them as a model, learn from them as an example of faith. But I'd like to close today with a reminder that even these good people, even these faithful people needed Christmas. Even faithful people today need the person and the work of Jesus Mary and Joseph's sacrifices under the law pointed to the fact that they needed a greater atonement. They needed a greater work that would allow them to be forgiven in Christ. Mother Mary needed to be forgiven because of the work of her son in the temple that day. Simeon and Anna's relationship with God, as vibrant, as life-giving as it was, still required the reconciling work of Christ to ensure that that relationship would never end. Now, it is not bad to try and be faithful to God and to do good works. I would encourage you to do that. It's just not enough to save. If it was, we wouldn't have needed that first Christmas, right? So today, whether you've tried very hard your whole life to be a good person, or whether you have a past, whether you feel like you have your life pretty much in order or whether you feel like you're barely making it today, whether you're in a season of joy or a season of mourning, of victory or shame, please remember that everybody needs Christmas because everybody needs Jesus. But because of that first Christmas and because Jesus was willing to come, in humility, and suffer and die because of his great love for us. There is hope, and there is joy, and there is peace available for all who place their faith and trust in him. But for those who do, like Mary and Joseph, like Simeon and Anna, like some of these shepherds, perhaps, let's be careful to honor God with our lives. Like Simeon, let's recognize and honor who Jesus is. And like Anna, our dear sister, let us thank God for Jesus and tell everybody about him. Because this is what Christmas is all about. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, thank you so much for your great and unstoppable love for us. People who are kind of a mess all the time. Father, thank you for sending your son, your beloved son, your one and only son into this world so that we might live through him. 
Lord Jesus, thank you for coming for us. Thank you for your sacrifice for us. Thank you for being willing to be humble for us. But Lord Jesus, we recognize that you are no longer in humble circumstances. You have been exalted. You've been raised. You are glorified and you reign and rule from the right hand of your father even today. So Lord Jesus, we honor you. We thank you and we give you all the praise. Holy Spirit, I pray that your power would just be vibrant among us, that you would be opening our hearts to believe this message, this good news, that you would shape us and transform us in the course and the direction of our lives because of who you are. Holy Spirit, would you apply this teaching to our lives in a way that makes us a little bit more like Jesus, our Messiah, our Lord. It's in his name that we pray. Amen.